0: Welcome to the No podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, baby girls and baby guys? You are listening to the No with me, Nikki Spo. So there is a lot going on with our lawmakers right now and it's rubbing me in all the ways, okay? Yeah, I'm talking about the very real possibility of completely overturning Roe v. Wade. But I'm not here to talk about which side of the fence you should be on or even which side of the fence I am on. But if you know me and listen to my work, then I'm sure you can guess where I stand on the issues. Let's dive right in and get started. And I'm going to get started by saying my body is mine and your body is yours. Does that make me a feminist? So that is the question today, folks. Am I a feminist? I'm just going to keep on asking. And before I get into what I believe it means to be a feminist and then question whether or not I am indeed one, I want to paint a picture for a bit. Now, I want to make something clear. When I share examples from my life, it's not for the purpose of being an emotional dumping ground on my listeners, okay? I'm not here to quasi-vent, and if I wanted to do that, I will 1,000% tell y'all if that's what I want to do, and I'm not here to create a narrative about what my life is like behind closed doors, because honeys, I just don't have that kind of time in these short solo episodes. But what I am doing is giving just what I said, examples. Why? Well, because I think we all have important examples in our lives that are data markers that point out consistencies and inconsistencies, where things are working and where they aren't working. And with those examples, we can make adjustments, right? So I share my examples with all of you, to sort of spark you on your own memory and hopefully inspire you to look for examples of whatever data you need in your own life. So let's friggin' go. I have lived my life as a chameleon, okay? Because of my ability to shapeshift into my environment or fit in, I've been routinely accused of being manipulative, or what I really know it as, a people pleaser. If you listen to my past two episodes with Bethany Webster when we discussed the mother wound, particularly in part two, we actually discuss how women have been taught through generations to be, quote, manipulative, right? Even when being manipulative is looked down upon. So historically, women couldn't flat out ask for what they wanted. They had to go through back doors and side streets to get what they wanted, Now, I'm not saying that I have been horrifically oppressed into sneakdom and being sneaky. I realize my privilege. And also, I can see from a very real perspective the ways in which I've had to go about achieving whatever in comparison to how men might have to. So I don't particularly consider myself to be a people-pleaser today, (laughs) but I can see how an outsider may perceive my chameleon nature to be sourced by a desire to manipulate a scenario to my desired outcome. And honestly, what woman has not been taught this by her sisters at one point or another? You know, kill them with kindness, sweetheart. You get more with sugar than with vinegar. Just soften the situation. Through all of the healing work I've done over the years, well, I now know myself a lot better, and I can see many things from my past with much clearer vision. However, that ability to mold into my environment, it was a survival technique. It was a part of my subconscious behavior that allowed me to be accepted, liked, and gave me an opportunity to succeed in different areas of my life. And I discovered how to turn it on on stage as a professional performer. Thank goodness for that. I always thought that it was something that made me special. I romanticized this skill by calling it, quote, stage presence, which in my mind was something that you couldn't necessarily teach, but that I'd better have it in order to make up for the areas in which my technical talent and ability were lacking. And then, of course, there was beauty, which I would use, again, mostly subconsciously to my advantage whenever possible. Stay with me here. It wasn't until much later as I became more and more, let me see, disagreeable or whatever, more myself, in the eyes of other women But mostly other men, many of whom may argue that I was never agreeable to begin with, (laughs) that I started to analyze what exactly was happening. I could be a chameleon as long as I could be their chameleon. Now, please understand something. When I say they, I am not necessarily referring to specific people. Okay. I'm not talking, this is not code. I'm not talking about my mom or my dad or my husband or any specific friend. I am talking about this in a general way. And the reason I bring it up is because I do not believe that I am the only woman who feels like I can be anything I want as long as I am theirs, not my own. Okay. Now we are scratching the surface of this monologue. Who's exactly that? If I'm not talking about the specific people in my life, who am I referring to? Well, I think society, family dynamics, gender expectations, generational roles that are passed down by our families and other families that are placed on us as women. Be smart, but not too smart. Be capable, but not too capable. Be soft, but not too soft. Be tough, but not too tough. Beautiful, but not too beautiful. Humble, but not too humble. Have confidence, okay? Women, women need to be confident, but don't be too confident, all right? You've heard all of these sayings, and honestly, they're never ending. I remember one person who simply said, Nikki, you are too much. And that never left me. I didn't know how to be less. And I wasn't even sure that I liked the idea of being less. I wanted to be more, more me. What did that mean? Was there even enough space for me to be more me if I was already too much? We need to be mindful of the things that we tell young women in this world. How is all of this connected to my perception of feminism? I'm going to keep painting that picture. In ways that I wish were not real, I came to understand my femininity very early on in my life. I became a woman and started acting like a woman well before I was emotionally ready to act like an adult woman. I made choices and pursued romances that were far more advanced than I was as an emotional teenager. But ask me at the time and I would tell you, like most teenagers, that I knew exactly what I was doing, right? But truthfully, I'll tell you what, today, I stand by many of my teenage choices, That's not to say I stand by all of my choices. I definitely have regrets, and I've shared many of them on this podcast, but I stand by a lot of my teenage choices. They were choices made in the pursuit of self-discovery and an attempt to have some control over my life. And some of my choices weren't always likable, and I sometimes wonder if they'd been more acceptable if I were a boy. In the trauma therapy that I've done to recover from the sexual abuse that I experienced, I want to rewind to episode seven, I think it was, I had the honor of speaking with Dr. Andrea Loeb, who is a trauma psychologist here in South Florida um, with South Miami Psychology Group. She's a tremendous healer, woman, person, friend, incredible. I encourage you to listen to that episode. But as I recovered and, and my behaviors as a teen, right, and even young adult, I was asserting control over my own womanhood when the control had been taken from me at a very early age. Why is this important to me? Because it has shaped how I view being a woman. In my early 20s, which was what in the mid 2000s, um, when sex sold everything and more skin was always in society was sexualizing women nonstop. And TBH, I loved every second of it. I was here for it. It was fun. And it made me feel powerful. Now I now know that the power of beauty and sex is a very tricky thing because in that scenario, the real power belongs to the person or group that decides who or what is beautiful. And nevertheless, I relished the moments that I got to be admired for my youth. And if I'm completely honest, I can still enjoy that without it being a defining part of who I am. But later, in the late 2000s, 2010s, a shift began a necessary one. And you know, it was necessary in a lot of ways. It was seemingly all of a sudden it was, you know, it became borderline shameful to be beautiful or sexy and a woman should only be described and admired for her other qualities. Now, this definitely needed to happen. We needed to swing the pendulum in 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 another direction where we weren't objectifying women, right? And 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 trust we were able to trust women more for who they are and their thoughts and their ideas rather than what the outside package looks like and what we wanted, the definition of woman that we place on them, but letting a woman define herself. Now this pendulum swung, and it it got to the point where you were not even allowed to address a woman for being beautiful or, or, or talk about her sex appeal. Pause for a second. As a human, like while I enjoyed the fun that came with being an object of desire, the message that it was actually now cool to have thoughts and opinions and desires of my own. I think that's actually what got me through college in a world where going to college didn't really matter in my family of origin. I wanted to be something more. See, there's always like, for me anyway, there's this, I wanted to be more. And when society started to say, women can be smart, women can be boss, like boss, babe, you know, when that whole movement started, I started to really want to be more and society was supporting that i now know that there's no degree achievement award or whatever that can validate my personal muchness but in the coming of age story that brings me to my concept of feminism those shifts needed to happen in my position i have been looked down upon for having a job if you can imagine that scenario it has occurred i have been looked down for not having a job I've heard older women make snarky remarks about younger women and younger women make snarky remarks about older women. I've heard women that I admire shame other women for how they choose to use and demonstrate their bodies. I've also witnessed incredible females use their sex appeal to make mad money while simultaneously using their powerful voices to stand up for the things that they believe in. I've witnessed women suit up and climb corporate ladders in fields reserved for men, earning their place among the male greats of the world. Here's the thing. There's no right way to be a woman. The right is ours to choose. That's what I believe. I believe that feminism is choosing what you want for yourself as a human, not because society thinks you should choose it, but because it is what you want for yourself and your life and also reserving the right to change your mind about who you are and what you would like to become. Fast forward to how women choose to give birth. I think this is an important topic to consider and it's one that I have a personal example for. I literally remember a time in my early 20s when I swore I would never deliver children. I can't even take myself seriously saying this. I I remember this time in my early 20s when I swore I would never deliver children vaginally because I seriously, didn't want to ruin my vagina for the sake of whoever my partner might be. (laughs) This was a real thought in my brain. I realize this is a fucked up thought process, but you can't tell me the thought has never crossed your mind, okay? What will sex be like for my partner after delivering babies? Will I be ruined? I have matured so much between then and now, thank God. But even so, When it came time for me to actually have children in my 30s, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I want my partner to be there for the birth. The only way to ensure that that happens is to schedule my C-section or schedule an induction. I wound up going on a girl's trip to Hawaii where I had a heart-to-heart talk with a midwife about childbirth, and she really helped me to process all of my fears. I came home from Hawaii, and I told my husband, I want to have an unscheduled birth, and I want to try to do it vaginally. He was so incredibly supportive. Sure, we ran the risk of him not being there. Together, we looked at the benefits of vaginal deliveries and he ultimately respected my choice for my body to pursue that delivery plan. I'm lucky that my husband is woke enough in that department, truly. But I can't say the same for the industry in which he works. I've spoken to countless women in sports who, without question, plan their deliveries around their partner's schedule. I'm sh- Listen, I'm sure this happens in other industries, and my experience is not an indictment on the sports industry as a whole, but it is a fairly male-dominated, extremely demanding industry, which requires great sacrifices from partners and loved ones associated with it. So, so many times, my husband and I were asked why on earth we were not scheduling our birth plan around his schedule. And so many times he stood by me And even when I wasn't there, to explain that this was our decision and what we felt was best, while mostly men, but even some women, stared at us, mostly me, aghast like I had broken some unspoken rule. I am so proud of my husband. I know that there's not one second of his life in which he regrets missing work to witness me give birth to our sons. I can't speak on how he felt explaining that to other men in his industry, but I do know that we need more men in the world to stand next to women and support their choices for their own bodies. I'm proud to say that my man now advocates to other men to support their partners if they want childcare, to support their partners in how they choose what's best for their bodies, especially when it comes to birthing their children. Because women shouldn't have to fight so hard to have body autonomy and a sense of sovereignty, period. Men and women must be in this together. So I will end with my question in the hopes that this soliloquy is thought-provoking. Does all of this make me a feminist? Well, what exactly is the correct way to be one? You guys, thank you. For tuning in today my friends i am so grateful you are here send this episode to your friends if it hits for you and leave a review if you're feeling complimentary but don't leave a review if you have some bullshit to say okay we don't leave that review Just kidding, sort of not really. All right, that's all I got for today. I'm excited to have you tune in next week because speaking of sexy and feminine and smart and powerful, I've got one self-assured mama coming on the show next week. That is right, Katia Elise Henry is here next week and you think you know her because of IG, but she never does podcasts and we are going to have a one-on-one convo that you will not want to miss. So I love you truth speakers, over and outie. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sapp Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless and looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams.